The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Rebecca, thank you for the work that you put in. Uh, We really appreciate it, and it's paying dividends many times over. Uh, Well, welcome on this snowy Memphis uh, Sunday morning. Uh, Thank you guys for those that have braved the snow you folks from the north are like, what are you talking about? This is not even snow yet, but uh, it's snow from Memphis. I can't wait to get out in it uh, this afternoon, tomorrow. Um, I may even be uh, putting on my skis and, and heading down the bluff. Uh, I did that the first, first uh, winter we got back from Colorado. It snowed what it's, about what it's supposed to snow, and... Um, I said, we got to go try this. So I grabbed my skis, and we went and skied the bluff down to Riverside Drive, and it was something else. So maybe that'll be happening in the next few days. We'll see. Uh, I may have a broken leg uh, next, <laughs> next week, but I'm excited about this passage this morning. Let's look at um, Isaiah chapter 49. I'm just going to be reading verses 1 through 16, but we're looking... Uh, all the way to 50, verse 3, and I'll be reading the remaining verses throughout the sermon. Um, But our sermon is entitled, The Servant Wins, and um, we we need a win, don't we? Uh, We need a win. And so let's let's read about um, the win that has come, that is coming, and that will be ours forever. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 1, this is the Word of God. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said... I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant to bring Jacob back to him and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord and my God has become my strength. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and His Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise." Princess, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. Thus says the Lord, in a time of favor, I have answered you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people to establish the land, to apportion the desolate heritages, saying to the prisoners, Come out, and to those who are in darkness, appear. They shall feed along the ways, on all bare heights shall be their pasture. They shall not hunger nor thirst, neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them, for he who has pity on them will lead them, and by springs of water will guide them. 
And I will make all my mountains a road, and my highways shall be raised up. Behold, these shall come from afar, and behold, those from the north and from the west, and those from the land of Sin. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. Now listen (laughs) to God's people's response in verse 14. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. And then God, can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. This is the very word of God. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Father, this morning um, we pray that you might come and speak to us even more about your servant. God, we pray that you would come by your spirit, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear the glorious hope of a servant king who suffered and died for us, that your love might be firmly imprinted upon us, that, O God, our hearts may be built up in faith, that even in a dark and cold world, even in a time in which we might feel forgotten, we can be reminded that we are never forgotten by you. But you are a God who pursues us with might and power, with love, with tenderness and compassion. That you're not a God that leaves us in the darkness, but you come shining through with the light of your love. Oh God, I pray that you would break through our cold hearts this morning, would you show us Jesus? Would you show us the one who is our hope, all that he has done, all that he is doing, and all that he will do? Oh God, we long for more, and more is to come. We thank you that you're that kind of God. Be with us now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Tampa Bay in uh, 2019, you know what the record was? Seven and nine. And yet last Sunday they finished the season 11 and five and were Super Bowl champions. Now, to some, that's good news. Probably to most uh, or many uh, Chiefs fans, uh, that was horrible news. And yet, what happened? How do you go from being seven and nine to being 11 and 15? Well, let's just say that a light dawned in Tampa Bay. Uh, let's say a savior arrived in Tampa Bay. And there were no mountains, but there were waters, and they rejoiced. They rejoiced at the arrival of one who could lead them to the promised land. And yet, if you look at Tampa Bay, if you had gone back just a a year in terms of football seasons, 2019, and told even the most diehard fan that that their team was going to win the Super Bowl, I I think you would, you'd be hard-pressed to find any that would agree with you, that would actually build up hope and, and believe. Why? Because their reality was too painful. Their reality was too dark. And friends, that's where we find God's people. Their reality 
is low. <laughs> they are at a low point for the people of God. They have been carried away into exile. They are enslaved by a foreign nation. And they have no recourse, and they have no way to fight. They have no army. Their, their temple, the, the place of worship, the powerhouse, the place where they experienced God was obliterated. They had no reason to hope but the promises of God. And so God gives them promise after promise after promise. I will never leave. I will never forsake you. I will be with you. I will, I will, I will exalt every road. I will bring down every mountain. I will do, make all these promises. And God's people respond very predictively. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. And friends, there's not a person in here, including the one behind this pulpit that doesn't feel the same way, not just sometimes, but often. Don't you feel forgotten, especially over the past year? Don't you feel forgotten? Doesn't it feel like God doesn't see? Maybe he sees your neighbor, maybe he loves your neighbor, but does he, is he really attuned to you? Are his eyes really upon you? Does he really see what you're going through? It's easier to believe for others than it is to believe for ourselves. And yet, what we see here is that, that verse uh, 15 and after is not God declaring judgment, but God declaring His love. It's fascinating to me that, that God gives an apologetic for His love instead of saying, Really? Really? He says, Can a mother... Forget her nursing child, neither can I forget you. And so God is arguing. He is fighting for the hearts of his people. He is fighting for his people to believe. And friends, that is a fight that I think we need from God this morning. So let's let this text fight for us. Let's let God reach through his word and captivate our hearts as he was seeking to captivate the hearts of Israel. And the first thing that we can see is that the Lord's servant will unite the nations. This, this mysterious servant rises again. Um, this is, theologians refer to this, biblical scholars refer to this as the second song of the servant. The first was Isaiah 42. So this is the second song of the servant, this mysterious person who would come and redeem Israel. And we know, because we can read the Old Testament looking through the New Testament, we know this servant is Jesus. It's no big surprise to us, but it would have been a big surprise uh, to the original audience. And, and yet, what is being revealed here is that uh, God is going to send a servant to redeem the people and yet they simply can't believe it. Have you ever been at that place where even your, your greatest hope was low? As I look at kind of where we are in our day, I think that's where we are. I mean, I hear the rhetoric, man, if we can just get a vaccine, what can happen if we get a vaccine? Well, we'll go back to normal. Do y'all remember what normal was like? <laughs> Do you remember what normal was like? You were wanting God to show up just as much then as you are now. Life was no bliss in normal. And that's where the people of God were. They were wanting normal. Take us back to the land. Why? Because they were so obedient back in, in the land? No. Because they were so faithful in their worship? No. And yet that was the greatest hope 
that they could possibly come up with, and it was really no hope at all. They were, re- they were longing for a return to a place that would not fulfill them. And God loved them too much just to settle there. Listen to verse 6. This is God speaking to the servant. It is too light a thing that you should uh, be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. It is too light a thing for for you, servant, for your work to be limited to just bringing the people back to the land. No, I will make you as a light for the nations. I've gone from this this small-town hope to a worldwide hope. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And, And notice that the promise is not motivated by the limitations of the people's plea, but by the, the unlimited um, a reality of a, of a glorious God. And friends, there is so much hope in this. Friends, God is not just willing to give us our heart's desire. He is to give us His desire for our hearts. He is willing to blow our hopes away by the fulfillment of his promises. If you think his promises are not enough for you, you don't understand the God behind the promises because that was the hope. The hope was not the limitation that God would just take them back to a land. No, God says, I have a greater work in mind, a work that is going to blow every category away. It reminds me of the the, uh, benediction that I use almost every time I preach. You've heard me say it a few hundred times more. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or can even imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Friends, that's the kind of God that is giving the promises here before us. You see, the promised servant of the Lord embodies God himself. We see the nature of this servant is not just that he comes to to, um, make a covenant. He comes to be the covenant. Uh, Verse 8, I will keep you, God's saying to uh, the servant, I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people. Jesus Christ was the covenant. Jesus Christ was the promise of God. And and what was he to do? Not just save Israel, but to save the nations. We see this as the promise of God throughout the Scriptures. In Genesis 17, we see God coming to Abraham. What does he say? Takes him out. Look at the stars in the sky. That's how many your your, um, inheritance are going to be. Because why? Because I'm going to bless not just Israel. I'm going to bless the world through Israel. Indeed, all nations will know that, that I am God. All nations will be blessed by me. And we see this march through the Scriptures. Um, You get to the Pentecost, and we see that the Holy Spirit comes, and what happens? Everybody can hear the message of God. Everybody is united under the gospel of Jesus Christ. King Jesus is preached, and the nations are being gathered to him. We see Paul arguing that this indeed is the reality and the beautiful blessing of the gospel in Ephesians 2, the dividing wall of hostility between all those who would naturally hate one another, Jew and Gentile, male and female, slave and free 
are what? They are one in Christ Jesus. And then we culminate in Revelation 7, 9, which gives us the end from the beginning, showing us that, that all tribes, every nation, every tongue will gather and they will cry out, salvation belongs to our God. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is a kind of world peace. This is a kind of world that we can barely even imagine, that we can barely get ourselves to hope for. This is not just a COVID-free world. This is a world of flourishing like we can't even possibly even imagine. That's what the gospel offers us. That's what the servant king offers us. I'm reading... Uh, President Obama's memoirs right now, and man, that's a long book. Uh, that guy doesn't say anything in a, in a short, pithy manner. Uh, unbelievable, but it's great. It's awesome. And, and he speaks about um, attending his first uh, international summit. I think it was a G20 summit. And there were 20 you know, world leaders around the table, and, he, and he's describing the interaction between um, those you know, around the table. And there's peace. I mean, there are no fist fights. Nobody's throwing anything. Um, but there's really not peace because everybody is weighing everybody. Everybody's trying to see what they can get. Everybody's kind of pushing the limit to see, you know, how the other leader responds. Everybody is negotiating and manipulating and seeing what they can take away from the other nations. And what th that is radically different from what is being described here. Listen to verse 7. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, and his, this Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. What is prophesied here? Is, is, is a day when every king of every nation will gather before the king of kings and they will come willingly not to negotiate. The negotiation's over because they have been dominated by the saving work and the saving power of King Jesus. And they bring their nations, they bring the key to their nation before the king of kings and they bow before him. This is where the world is going. This is not some contrived peace. This is not some negotiated peace. This is the peace of the king reigning on the throne. That's what we have to look forward to. Why is that a blessing to you and me? Can we not see it right now? Have we not experienced what it's like to live under unjust and evil dictatorship? <laughs> Do we not, have we not gotten a, a taste that even in our best times, they are some of our worst times? Do we not understand the benefit of a king of a kingdom that is bringing love and grace and mercy and provision, that is healing every disease, that is ensuring there's no violence, that is raising up the oppressed, that is meeting every needs of our hearts, that knows us intimately? Friends, this is what, why we are after what we're after at Downtown Church. This is why we're doing what we're doing. Because true reconciliation only comes through submission to the King of Kings. That's the glorious hope here. 
is every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. And friends, that is what will drive either the, the flourishing of downtown church or the destruction of downtown church. Jesus has to reign as king of our hearts or what we're doing here, seeking the peace and the welfare of the city through God's people, seeking reconciliation across every line that would divide us is but a pipe dream. So God's dream, God's promises are greater than our greatest dreams. But secondly, the Lord's servant can be believed. We can trust the servant of the Lord. Right now, um, we are, Rachel and I are preparing for our sixth grandchild uh, to be born. Our youngest, Amy Catherine, um, will have a baby. We thought she might be in labor last night, sitting on her couch, counting, you know how that goes, counting the, the, the contractions and all that. Um, it's an exciting time. Um, it, it, it just it fascinates me. The whole birthing process, the whole thing fascinates me because you really are tapping into uh, participating with God in a creative act. And as a grandfather, and Rachel as a grandmother, to see your daughter and son-in-law going through this whole process is just, it's one of those heavy experiences, weighty experiences that's really hard to put into words. But this little baby, little Gracie that will be born at some point uh, over the next 30 days, uh, it's just going to be the rawest of human form, utterly dependent, spiritually, emotionally, physically, intellectually dependent upon um, her mother and father. And, you know, I, her mother's pretty capable, but her father, that's, that's given us a huge reason for Paul's. Uh, a child being dependent upon Tom Power. Um, you're welcome, Tom. Um, is a frightening reality. Um, and yet it's God's design. Uh, and he is bigger and he is greater. But, but uh, thank you for a few laughs. I am utterly tongue-in-cheek. Well, maybe not utterly, but uh, pretty much tongue-in-cheek. Um, but it's an amazing process. And, and you see, to see the bond, uh, they have no idea what, what is really coming. But the, the bond between mother, father, child at birth is unbelievable. Literally, um, a mother's body responds to a newborn baby, literally producing milk. A mother cannot forget her child or she will be in pain. Amen, mothers? In pain. You cannot. You have to remember your child. And, and it's, it's, it's amazing to me that even through this, this is not just physiological, but this is uh, spiritual and emotional too. Th this child, uh, let's just use little Gracie, will be um, developed through the tenderness and the compassion and, and, and through the, the attunement, uh, the mother and father being attuned um, to her needs and to her wants, receiving tenderness when she cries, receiving attention when she cries, um, being, um, you know, pushed towards sleep and rest when her parents know that she needs it. Um, uh, being comforted and regulated emotionally when she's crying. All of these things will go into forming her into a flourishing human being. And yet, 
to the extent that a child does not receive these things. We know that, that they are broken in those ways. Uh, some of us that may not have received that kind of tenderness, that kind of attunement, that kind of emotional connection by the caregivers are still struggling as adults to this whole reality of what we didn't get as children and, and still fighting for um, um, wholeness and flourishing in different ways. And yet this is the metaphor that God uses to help, this is what, how he wants us to think about when we feel forgotten, when we feel pushed away by God, this is the metaphor God wants to be firmly implanted in our minds, that he is a God that, that perfects us not by his law, but by his love. He says, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? This is how God wants you to understand. You moms out there, you, you um, want to be mom. You mom, you women that are desiring to be moms, this is what you're longing for. And, and God says, think about me when you think about that. Think about me when you're looking at that child and you think there's no way you can love another human being as much as you love that child right there. That is how God thinks of you. That is how God wants you to think about him thinking about you. You see, it's not that a mother's love informs God about love. It's a mother's love informs the mother on God's love for her. That is the weightiness of this whole reality, and that is what God is saying. And he even says, well, even some, um, he, he says there are some mothers that may forget their their child, what is he talking about? I experienced it just a few weeks ago. My mother is, is um, suffering from dementia, and she literally had a moment when she could not remember who I was. Oh, but God never has a moment like that. God never experiences a moment of dementia or senility. God always knows our name. God always looks at us with that there's literally no way he can work up more love for you or me. That's what God is saying to Israel. And he even goes further. He even goes further. He says um, in verse um, 16, Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. And the words that he's using there, he's not saying I, I've, I've tattooed you on my, the palms of my hands. He is saying engraved, literally, the Hebrew word there um, means chiseled. You say, well, what could that possibly refer to? We're not talking about some symbolic little cute little, no, chiseled into my hand. You know exactly what he's talking about here. Israel had no clue, but we do. That God literally chiseled, allowed men to drive nails through his hands and he keeps the scars afterwards. It reminds you of that moment when Thomas said, no, I'm just, I can't believe unless I see and touch. And Jesus said, we'll see and touch. Your, your, your name is engraved on my hand, Thomas, and I can withstand your doubting. Oh, what a glorious Savior. This is the, the Savior that comes after us. Are you feeling forgotten this morning, dear friends? You are engraved on the palm of the hands of your Savior. He will not, because he cannot, forget who you are. 
I love 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love because perfect love drives away fear. You know, typically when we refuse to believe the love of God, it's because of fear. It's so hard. We, it, we in our lives have trusted before and we've been let down. And what God is saying to us is literally there is no way He can let us down. It's not even, He doesn't even have the capacity to let you down. It's not even a possibility in the realm of, of, of reality. There's no way He can let you down. Why? Because He loves you and He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. He is, he is loving you. Is there anything better than a mother's love? Absolutely. God's love for you. And he will not, the intensity of his love never lets down, even and especially in a cruel world in which it feels as if we are being let down. When you, if you're facing consequences, if you're facing circumstances right now when you, where it feels like God is letting you down, I want you to know you are interpreting your circumstances wrongly. Interpret them through the, the, the engraved hands of your Savior. Interpret them through this metaphor of God looking at you, unable to stop loving you. That is how God wants you to think of Him, not wallowing in your guilt and shame, but swimming in His love, swimming in His grace before us. And then thirdly and finally, the Lord's servant will not always be concealed or hidden. One of the storylines of last week's Super Bowl, and I have no, I had no dog in the fight. I'm not a big Chiefs fan. I'm not a big Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan. But um, one of the, the storylines was um, Tom Brady and Tyron Matthew just going at each other. You know, Tom Brady running up to him in the middle of the field. And, um, you know, what were they saying to each other? I, you know, I'm sure it was uh, just really pleasant, um, you know, low-key, kind of uh, jarring back and forth. But basically what they were saying to each other was, oh, yeah, you wait. You wait to this next play. You, you, you just wait. It was vindication. They both wanted to be vindicated. And what was amazing to me in that was you've got these grown men these, these men who've accomplished so much, especially Tom Brady, feeling the need to be vindicated, feeling the need to prove himself. This dude has millions, millions of dollars. He's married to a, a, a model. He has, you know, the, the two children, he, and yet he needs to be vindicated on that field. And friends, we all can relate to that. As a matter of fact, I think most of us are using many things in our lives to be vindicated. We want to prove that we are important, that we are valuable, that we are something. We want to we be justified through our work. We want our work to rise up. We want our accomplishments to rise up. We want our beauty to rise up. We want our children to rise up. We want uh, our, our church or whatever to rise up and to call us worthy and to say, you are somebody. That's what we all want. 
And and it's deep-seated in all of our hearts. And yet, friends, listen to verses 22 through 26. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will lift up my hand to the nations and raise my signal to the peoples, and they shall bring your sons in their bosom, and your daughters shall be carried on their shoulders. Kings shall be your foster fathers. Did you hear that? Kings shall be your foster fathers, and their queens your nursing mothers. With their faces to the ground, they shall bow down to you and lick the dust of your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Those who wait for me shall not be put to shame. Can they pray? Uh, can the prey be taken from the mighty, or the captives of a tyrant be rescued? For thus says the Lord. Even the captives of the mighty shall be taken, and the prey of the tyrant be rescued. For I will contend with those who contend with you, and I will save your children. I will make your oppressors eat their own flesh, and they shall be drunk with their own blood as wine. Then all flesh shall know that I am the Lord, your Savior, and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. I will make you as a light for the nations, so says um, God to Israel in verse 6. I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. God will vindicate us. And you know what that means? It means we don't have to vindicate ourselves. The reality that God is a God who vindicates his people means that I don't have to try to get vindication for myself. And you say, well, what are you talking about? That has no, um, you know, uh, real practical illustration in my life right now. Well, how did you feel about the president, the former president, being acquitted yesterday? You don't have to fight. That is not your hope. How do you feel when your enemy, when someone that you're jealous of, when someone that you covet their things, when someone, a bully who's been mean to you, how do you feel when people let you down and turn their back on you? How do you feel, husbands, when your wives treat you a certain way? How do you feel, wives, when your husbands treat you a certain way? Don't you feel like you you want to be vindicated? Doesn't your anger want to come out? You have a vindicator. That's what this passage is saying. How do you feel about that person at work who is always cutting you down, who is always making you feel small? How do you feel about that person in your class that always seems to be winning all the awards? What You feel like you need to be vindicated. Well, guess what? You don't have to vindicate yourself. You have a vindicator. His name is Jesus. And you don't have to prove yourself. Because he is one that has indeed vindicated you to the nth degree. He's lived under the law for you. Hear this. You don't have to perform in order to get the love and acceptance of other people. You don't have to perform to even get the acceptance and love of your God because he has done it for you through his son, through the servant himself. He has lived under the law to free you from the curse being a law to you or being a, from the law being a curse to you. And he has vindicated you by becoming your sin. He has taken the punishment that you deserve. And now he treats you as if you have never sinned. And he, he comes near to you in his love. 
and you don't have to be vindicated. Friends, if the people of God would believe that we have a vindicator and it's not on us to vindicate ourselves, what peace we would have in our relationships, what confidence we would have in this world where we, if we're looking for vindication in this world, we are rarely getting it. How our anger will be diffused, how our, our, our um, um, need for revenge will be diffused, how we can begin to love one another because I don't need you to vindicate me. I don't need you to make me feel significant because I have a God who already makes me feel as significant as I possibly can be. I have a better vindicator. I have a better vindication. So I'm not driving you to make me feel good about me because I have a God who has already done so. Do you see the practical realities of God being our vindicator, of God giving us the hope one day, someday, that indeed all these things will become realities? Do you believe that this morning? I, I, I think often about people who reject the, the, the hope of the gospel, and I want you to know this morning, this is what is being rejected when someone rejects Jesus. It is having a vindicator that brings the kind of peace and love and security that, that we simply cannot get on our own. Do you know that vindicator this morning? Is he your vindicator? Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Thank you that we have been vindicated by your blood, that we have been vindicated by your life, your death, and your resurrection, and we have hope as your people. Oh, Father, I pray that you would stir up faith in our hearts this morning, that you would give us a, a longing to believe you, that, Father, you would convict us of how we're looking to the things of this world to vindicate us, that we might see that you are the great vindicator and we might find rest in you. Lord Jesus, do it for your glory. Win our hearts this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. May we respond to the glorious hope of the gospel as we bring our tithes and offerings to him. You can do so um, at home or here by texting the number on the screen or we have a basket on your way out over here if you're here with us this morning. Uh, but let's worship our glorious king this morning.